the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We've been away from Hebrews for a few weeks. We're back at it again as we turn our attention to chapter 10 of Hebrews, looking at the first 18 verses, the superiority of Christ's sacrifice. I don't know about you, but there are times in my life when I struggle a bit in my relationship with God. I think it's safe to say we all find ourselves in those moments. And it is in those moments that it is always good to go back and remind ourselves once again of just who Jesus is, the superiority of his sacrifice, and how sufficient he really is. The comfort really is quite amazing. That's what we'll do today here on Truth For Today with Pastor Emeritus Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Join us here in Hebrews 10 as we take a look at the superiority of Christ's sacrifice. Here's Pastor Phil. God told his priests, you shall not walk up, on, you shall not build high altars. You know why? I don't want your legs to be shown from your robes. I want no sensuality connected with the worship of Yahweh. I'm a pure God. Nothing dirty about me. Um, Sixthly, every time there was a revival, there was an overwhelming sense of conviction of sin and a desire to remove to a pure life. Seventh, this is amazing. They always return. This is in the Old Testament's uh, biographies we'll look at. They always returned to the altar where the blood and the mercy seat were and relied upon it again. They would renew offerings. They would quit offerings at times and the backslidings. And when the nation would get in trouble. But every time they came back, guess what? They start the sacrifices full time. Bringing in lambs. Bringing in the bullocks. They couldn't give God enough. You know what? They shouted, we know our acceptance with God is on the basis of the blood of a substitute. We're not relying on ourselves anymore. And let me tell you, every time the church has had a revival, it has brought the centrality of the cross and Christ back to it. They got delivered from worshiping programs, personalities, buildings, stuff. Jesus, once again, in his atoning work and his propitious death, was once again the burning issue of their hearts. They knelt at the cross. They worshiped the Christ of the cross. Christ becomes central again, not just church stuff. Christ. Christ alone. The Lamb is returned to the central place. And when I thought of that, I let me read you. An old hymn called From Every Stormy Wind That Blows. I try to sing hymns on my knees at home. We sing so much stuff here I can't even keep up with it. So I just got a hymn book. I know at least eight of those. So I sing them. 
From every stormy wind that blows, from every swelling tide of woes, there is a calm, a sure retreat. Tis found beneath the mercy seat. Ah, whither could we flee for aid when tempted, desolate, dismayed? Or how the host of hell defeat had suffering saints no mercy seat? Ah, there on eagles' wings we soar, and sin and sense molest no more. And heaven comes down our souls to greet, while glory crowns the mercy seat. I can't tell you how much revived saints dwell in their thinking on the mercy seat, the covering of Christ for my sins, my status my acceptance, that I come boldly to a throne where there's mercy because it's been sprinkled with the blood of the Lamb. It it gives you boldness to come. The mercy seat. Some of you stay whipped with a besetting sin or whipped with the shame. You were uh, molested. You were, uh, you had this experience, and you were dirtied here, and you were the, and sometimes you can always feel dirty. Let me tell you, when you come to the mercy seat, you see, God is preoccupied with the mercy seat, and the mercy seat now sits at his right hand. It's his son. It's the place where justice was satisfied against you. Everything against you, God plunged it into his own beloved son. It fell on him. Oh, that we believed it. Oh, that we believed it. All the rotten things you've ever done, the full penalty for them, fell on him. And now when you go there, nothing is effused but mercy. Now, when that truth becomes old, mundane, and so-so, see-saw, so-so, once that quits moving you, you're backslid. You've lost first love. You've gone on to something else. You never hear me. God wants to take a 10-pound penny nail and nail you right there at the cross. Nail you there. Spurgeon said, I put one foot at the base of the cross, and I stretch the other foot as far as I can go, but I will never move from the cross. It's the only way hell raisers like most of us have been or tried to be or thought we were can find any mercy at the mercy seat. Christ is the only one that would ever be interested in Edwin Chandra. Tilly was, he's desperate though, need a husband. But you know, uh, to pick him up when he did. Sin, gang, all of us. Did you know all of you were ugly in your sin? We always pick on these hoods from their background. You all were pretty rotten, starting with me. The thing that qualifies me for this job is I'm a great sinner. I'm a great sinner. And according to Paul in 1 Timothy 1, he told the church, he said, Timothy... If I come to preach to you, when I come to preach, hear me, son. He said, when I stand before the church, he said, there will be two things on display when they see me, Paul. They will see the long-suffering of God and the mercy of God that put me in the ministry. You see, God wants us people because 
when other sinners see us, they say, you mean God would put up with that much to use a person? You mean God would show that much mercy that he'd use them? And we ought to say, no, he really got a pretty good person to me. We need to shout, I'm a product of mercy. The mercies of God. I'm a product of the long patience of God. I'm, a pro- I'm not standing before you as the holiest man in the place. I'm standing here as a man. Mercy found me in Jesus. I will claim his righteousness and you cannot rip it off of me. I'm clothed in it. I'm bathed in it. I've been nailed to it. I stand in the perfect righteousness of Christ. He is my righteousness. Not some puny things I could do. I love what my old daddy said when I interviewed him before his death. Dad, what brought you to this position of the security of the believer? And my brother and sister, we were there. We knew he's dying. Our mother said he's got cancer. He's going. He doesn't know it. And so we met at my brother David's. We made a recording. And so there I knew this might be my last chance. And I said, oh, Daddy, we grew up in holiness, Wesleyan circles, and where you had to be almost sinless, perfect. And, oh, we were rigid in our ways of life, that kind of thing. And I and he finally came to the grace of God. I said, what, what brought you to see this? He said, I guess my being such a failure. I guess my, my being such a great sinner. For he said these words, the people I was going to heaven with, we were walking on a tightrope wire. And any moment you could fall off. Any moment you could slip off. And he said, I I tried. I tried my best. But he said, I'd get up to bat and I'd strike out. And he said, I struck out. I failed him. I failed him over and over. And then he said, but I never came back to him and heard him say, I don't know you. You're not mine. He said, I never could hear that voice. And there my sin and shame and defeat. Oh, hear me, saints. When revival comes, the centrality of the work of Christ for us poor sinners will come and just loom over the church. and every, We want to get sinners to Christ because he's a friend of sinners. It's his death for us. Eighthly, a renewed sense of unbounding joy and exuberant gladness comes when there's revival. Nehemiah, when the law was read and they began to weep, he stopped the people and said, Stop your weeping, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. Where God works, there is a taste of heavenly joy. Ninthly, revival always brought a time of great productivity and prosperity. Printing presses, Bible schools, Bible colleges, uh, ministerial training. Things would just abound. Organizations would be started. Great things would happen when God worked among a people. Let me wrap up. Why study revival, which we'll be looking at 
Let me give you five reasons. Motivational. It ought to create a desire in us for a move of God. If he did it once, could he not do it again? If he did it in Wales, if he did it in London, if he did it in the Great Awakening in America, back with Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards, and the uh, great revival in the 1900s, it, it ought to whet our appetites and do it again, Lord. Malcolm approached me years ago and bugged me because uh, I had no answer. He says, Phil, I've heard about revival. Have you ever seen one? I said, I don't know that I really have seen overall a revival, maybe. I've seen God work in a little Bible college. What he did at Holy Ghost Hall in those early days with all those young people that came in was a work of God. He saved many and just turned us into a Bible school. We couldn't get enough of Jesus, enough of the Word. But I said, uh, we've both been praying for it all these years. Two, uh, it's a method issue. How should we go about? What were they doing before God visited them? What was happening before this great outpouring of the Spirit? And hundreds, I mean, let me ask you this. Let me just ask you. Would you not like to think that if God got a hold of our hearts and we sought his face and sought him, he might not only revive us, but save our children, our grandchildren. And I'm tired of telling the next generation what it was like. And so I sound like a relic in a museum tour. I wish another generation would taste and see how wonderful and powerful God is for themselves. Not me telling stories what God did there and that meeting and that meeting. Oh, I wish you could sign up and say, the power has swept through our church. It's more than sermons. It's more than songs. It's an unexpressible, the wind of the Spirit is blowing through us. I want to pray like I never prayed before. The Bible is coming alive. And I never knew Jesus was so wonderful. Or... It's going to get worse. You've seen nothing yet. We have no power to fight this tide. And so we just wait for the drift and wait until we throw the Bible out, vote in a homosexual pastor, and everything we lived and prayed for be lost as other devoted members of denominations have seen their very buildings ripped out from underneath them as the liberals took over. Biographical. I think it shows us what kind of people God has used in revival. Simple, we pray. And how we should pray for revival. Fourthly, how our praying, maybe a Second Chronicles 7, 14, could pave the way. If we humble ourselves, Pray, seek his face, get rid of any of the wickedness we may be doing, and have God respond in outpour blessings. I believe he'll do it. I believe he'll do it for any church that does it. Uh, let me uh, conclude by saying there will be no revival unless God initiates it. He's in charge of that spigot. No one can turn it on. No man has it. But I think if we talk about it and want it, 
once it happens, we will all know who did it. And none of us would jump on the bandwagon to take the credit for it. If it only comes from him by asking, panting, and wanting. I'm telling you, dear saints, if we ever needed a divine, fresh outpouring of the presence of God on the people of God, wherever they are, it's today. We need it. We need a fresh work in all of us. In all of us. So, my plea with you is, if you'll seek my face in humility and pray and be willing to repent of your ways. Ephesus, has the loss of your first love made you miss it? Are you willing to repent and return? Let me talk the language of the risen Christ if you don't understand revival. Ephesus, you win every doctrinal battle and you can refute every heretic, but in the fight, you fell out of love with me. You know what? That's what was wrong with a lot of fundamentalists. They were great at fighting Billy Graham. They were right on separation, but they became hard. It's hard to fight a lot with personalities and not lose your heart. You're rigid, cold, but you're right. You're right, but you're hard. Or you're over here with Thyatira letting Jezebel seduce people in immoral lifestyle and letting her take over and corrupting the morals of the church and you won't do a blasted thing because you're too afraid to discipline her because we got to get members and if you do discipline, we'll lose them. Well, discipline them and go down if there's nobody who attends but Jesus. Let's get it down to his size. And Laodicea, the most heartbreaking one. I say I was in Houston, Texas, holding a revival. I'm not sure it happened, but that's what they called it. And I'm preaching there. And I was praying, and God told me to preach on Laodicea. And I've told you before, I just say it in closing. God broke my heart with Revelation 3.20. Behold. I stand at the door and knock. Where is he knocking? At the green lantern? You guys been there a few times. Uh, Chick, you just showed your favorite hangout. Uh, Where is he knocking? Who's that knocking at my door? I had that by little Richard. Who's knocking at the door? And what door is it? Uh, what does it say it's your heart? Church door. It, it, it's the door of Laodicea. Hey. And I can hear the bishop saying to one of the deacons, somebody knocking at the door. Go check the door. Yeah, it looks a little familiar. Who is it? Oh, it's Jesus. Well, tell him we're too busy running the church to let him in right now. We're too busy uh, having our meetings. 
What do you mean? That, that can't be. That can't be. Well, it's there if you read the text. They had grown rich. They had everything they needed. We got eyes salve. We got good garments. We're a prosperous bunch. What? 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 I wonder what he wants. And, and if you read, he said, I've been offering you gold, but you don't seem to want my wares. I'm offering you an eye salve that makes you see things that you can never see uh, in your bank account. This makes you see all the way in the third heaven and see all the riches you've got. I don't know about you. I was praying here the other day while I was praying on my knees. I was just overwhelmed. I said, Lord, I'm the richest. I'm I'm not the richest man. A man cannot be richer than I am. I have you as my father. I have Jesus as my elder brother. You can't be richer than me. Oh, don't talk about money. This is stuff that transfers for eternity. You can't be any richer than if you're a believer. I don't care if you die bankrupt in Ghana or if you die a rich man. If you've got him, you're blessed with every blessing that never erodes. It's yours. And I was overwhelmed. God couldn't give me more than what he's already given me in Jesus. Can he? I have to have a brand new car to make me rich? Oh, no. Hollywood hoods can do that. You've got to know Jesus to get the riches we've got. And I was preaching that church. I said, my fear for you is he no longer runs this church. He simply knocks on the door to get in. But where it got down to the heart, he said, if any man is in that church and you're hungry and you're starving, I've got a lunch basket with me. You know, I know how to turn loaves and fishes into a meal for thousands. He said, if anybody's hungry of all the coldness in that church, if you, if you just crack open a little space for me, I'd come in and you don't have to fix dinner for me. I'll bring the meal and I'll give you a supping fellowship, a meal that you've been starving for because you've been into church. You're on the board. You know all the money decisions. You think money. You think power. You think politics. But you haven't been eating with me. I want to eat with you. When we talk revival, we're talking book of Revelation chapter 2 and 3, Second Chronicles. We're going to talk God's people slip. They slide. They get cold. They're not what they... I look at some of you. I've pastored some of you for years. I ask, do you burn like you did at the beginning? Or has it cooled off? Do you just live with your wife or do you ever kiss her? No, she's just good for my social security. Do you still love her? Oh, yeah. I said that 25 years ago. Don't need to say it again. And your, your anniversary song is, The Thrill is Gone. <laughs> and that's what describes some of your Christianity. The thrill is gone. That's what I'm panting for. As I spoke on the Spirit this morning. How I pant for the meetings that no one can predict. 
He's coming again. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Our time today spent in God's Word to encourage you to bring you truth for today. If you have questions or comments about our time together, we would invite you to write to us. You can either visit our website and drop us an email, write to us via U.S. mail, or give us a call. Another way to reach out to us with your questions would be to simply record them on your voice memo app on your smartphone and then email that audio to tftquestions at valleybible.org. Our phone number is 855-833-9864. Our website, truthfortodayradio.org. And if you're writing to us, the address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. If you have questions about the ministry of Truth For Today and how we are funded to air on this radio station. We would love to talk with you. We are listener-supported, quite simply, and no gift is too small, no gift is too large. Whether it's a one-time gift or a monthly gift, it all goes back into the radio ministry, ensuring that it airs on this radio station. So would you consider that as you reach out to us here at Truth For Today? One other note as we close out our time together today, if this broadcast and this ministry encourages you in your walk with Christ, and you happen to be looking for a church that does just that, we would invite you to contact valleybible.org. Pastor Phil is Pastor Emeritus at Valley Bible Church in Hercules, and while he is no longer in the pulpit, we are still very much a part of this church body. And we would invite you to come and join us for worship. For more information, again, valleybible.org or call 855-833-9864. And then we invite you to come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Blessed be the name of the Lord.